Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Um, private loan, again, no monthly payment. Now, say that I, I do borrow that $20,000 for that $100,000 property. Say that, that that pays me $200 a month, right? Now, instead of just taking that 200 bucks a month and putting it in the savings, because if I liquidated my savings, took 20 grand out, I'm going to be putting the 200 bucks a month back in and building that up slowly so I can do another investment, which could take forever. Welcome to the show. You are listening to the Real Estate Lab podcast. In this lab, we decode the stories, secrets, and skills of the most brilliant minds in real estate investing, then turn their wisdom into practical advice and knowledge that we can use to boost our income. And now, let's turn it over to our host, V. It's a great day to be alive and to invest in real estate. My name is V Koo, and you're now listening to my show, The Real Estate Lab Podcast. How are you doing, my friends? I hope you are having a marvelous time. Thank you so much for tuning in to my show. How do you like the content so far? Do you have any feedback for me? Let's schedule a call to chat, yeah? You can do that at www.callwithv.com. Hey, I'm so excited to share today's episode with you. But before I do that, though, I wanted to share something special with you. Recently, I got to know a super cool dude. His name is Ryan Huff. Ryan runs a company called Qualified Apparel. It's a positive impact brand that feeds families in America by selling merchandises. In fact, for every one item that you purchase on his site, Ryan donates enough money for 20 meals via Feeding America. Now, Ryan is not paying me anything to say this. I'm only sharing this with you because it's so amazing. You can help feed families in America by picking up items on his sites, such as t-shirts, tanks, hoodies, and you can also do custom order for products for your own private events. Qualified Apparel has already provided over 35,000 meals to date. You can check them out at www.qualified-apparel.com. Let's get back to our show. Our guest today is a leading authority in teaching entrepreneur and professionals how to get their money working for them today. He's an author a podcast host, and he appeared on CNN Money, EO Fires, and US News. Our guest today is Chris Miles. Chris is the host of the Chris Miles Money Show. His company, Money Ripples, helped his client increase their cash flow by over $100 million in the last nine years. You can contact Chris by sending an email to info at moneyripples.com and make sure to check out his show, The Chris Miles Money Show. Now let's dive into my conversation with Mr. Chris Miles. Hey, welcome to another edition of the Real Estate Lab podcast. I have Chris Miles here with us. Thank you for joining us today, Chris. Hey, it's a pleasure to be on, V. Awesome. So, Something I usually do for the audience just to build a little bit of a context is to talk about your background a little bit. And I don't just want to talk about your professional background. I want to take it way back to, let's say, 
you and I, let's say we're buddy in high school, we're having lunch right now. What kind uh-huh. of conversation will, would we be uh, having right now? <laughs> well, I, I grew up near Portland, Oregon, and uh, we, we believed we, all, we were all Californians. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> if anything, it would be a lot of, dude, dude, you know, it'd be a lot of that, right? Um, but uh, um, I mean, back then I was doing like sports. Um, I, I love to do things. I actually went from like baseball, football to eventually like cross country and track and that kind of stuff. But I, I was always kind of a renaissance man. Like, I mean, even in college, like I, I had a major in my main major was sociology, right? Okay. But my minors would have been in psychology, Japanese and ballroom dancing. <laughs> so I pretty much had a triple minor or I could have qualified for triple minor in those things. I just stayed majored in sociology. So I was kind of just the guy that did everything kind of really well and, and always saw the big picture really well, you know? So this is a lab environment. I want to know what exactly got you to think, hey, maybe I need to give up on this triple major and sociology path and just go into real estate and pursue this, this career that you're on right now. Yeah, it was interesting because I, I always had, I don't know why I always thought differently. I just did. Um, my dad was the kind of guy that you always worked hard. You worked forever. You know, um, you get a good job, you get a good education, even though he never got an education. He just told me to go get a good education and then get a good job and stay at that forever. Right. Yeah. And, and, uh, you know, and, and I remember like I was, my main plan was going to business consulting. So I was planning to work with corporations and whatnot. And I figured, wait, if I'm going to start consulting business owners on their businesses, shouldn't I have real life business experience, not just books, you know, not just study, but real life experience. And so with, uh, I actually dropped out, you know, I was planning to go get my master's, but I was like, I'm going to drop out and, uh, and get a business. And I didn't know what that business was going to be. And the first business opportunity that came up that kind of got me intrigued was becoming a financial advisor. And I didn't realize at the time, I thought it was really hard. I thought it was like boiler room. I thought it was like you, you had to like, you know, it was cutthroat. You had to fight your way in. I didn't realize they hired anybody off the street. <laughs> and uh, so I became a financial advisor and, and did that for four years. I actually never went back to school. I, I Just something about being an entrepreneur, controlling my time, controlling my destiny and the amount of money I can make. I went the entrepreneur route, right? And did that for four years, realized that, after those four years, when I really ran the numbers, right? When I really looked at evidence, that's when I realized that it wasn't working. I was like, wait, there's no way people can retire based on real life numbers, not on what they say you might earn, but off of real life numbers, it's impossible to retire off that. So I quit. I vowed never to go back to financial advising again. I would just be a mortgage broker. I would, uh, you know, teach ballroom dancing on the side and that kind of thing, right? Yeah, that's right. You're you're um, really good at ballroom dancing, right? Yeah, I used to be one of the nation's top amateur ballroom dancers uh, back in the early two thousands. So, top amateur ballroom dancer does that mean you uh, is not as good in the professional realm, but you're qualified for professional? Uh, well, pretty much the only difference between professional and amateur is that professionals will charge to teach. So uh, when I did, I kind of did under the table. <laughs> okay. So I stayed out of the professional space, stayed more at the the amateur level, but I mean amateur level goes all the way up to adults as well. So basically it just depends on whether or not you charge to teach dancing, right? Right. And uh so yeah, so that's that's kind of what I was doing. And, and and at that time, that's when I started to meet guys that were in real estate investing and things like that back in 2006. 
And, and I said, all right, like I can tell the evidence here. Again, I like to look at evidence. I'm like, I can see that these guys are in their twenties and thirties and they're financially free while every financial advisor I know is not right. Even it doesn't matter if they had the investment, the very investments they've been recommending, they weren't financially free, but these guys in real estate were. And so that's more the path I took. And, and I went through the recession, you know, like I, I actually was able to retire when I was 28 back in about summer of 2006, I was able to retire. But um, I came out of retirement in 2007 to start teaching people how to get out of the rat race. And at that moment, I was teaching real estate investors. And you can imagine what happened when all of a sudden the recession hit just a little while longer. And, uh, and I cut off my own income streams, which was dumb, right? Yeah. And I did that. And of course, now I'm stuck. You know, I, I went from millionaire to upside down millionaire. Um, I was over a million dollars in debt because of my real estate decisions and everything else. I was going more speculative. I wasn't doing, I wasn't investing for cash flow like I do today. Right. And so I found myself in a hole and, and I avoided bankruptcy, but, uh, I had to dig, I had to claw my way back out over several years to pay that debt back. And, uh, could, three years ago, you, I got able to retire again. Could you go into a little bit deeper about the mistakes that you made the first time around? Yeah. Um, the first, the first thing is, was I was just trying to bank on appreciation, right? That was the biggest mistake right there. Um, you know, I, I thought, Hey, it doesn't matter what the debt is because if it keeps appreciating, keeps going up. Great. And the problem is a lot of those pro with some of the properties I had, they were negative cash flowing. So they weren't even paying my mortgage payment. But again, when money's coming in and you have, you know, you're banking on appreciation, you know, you make this big lump sum and it's, it's sexier, right? Like we, it's much, it's much sexy when you much sexier, when you go to an, like a real estate investment course, right? And they say, Hey, I did this. And I made 50 grand off of this one deal versus, Hey, I'm making 300 bucks a month off this deal. <laughs> you know? And and I was guilty of doing the former. I was going for the, trying to go for the home run, only realizing I was striking out, especially when the recession hit. So that was my biggest thing. Um, the other mistake I learned too is, like I said, I cut off income streams too. I mean, I had other residual income streams through my businesses that I had that I created and I cut them off because uh, the partners I was working with said, Hey, you should be focused just here. This is our mission. You know, we all kind of came out of retirement to do this. And so he said, okay, cut off those income streams, focus on this only, which was dumb that I did that because I'll tell you, even if you have, even if you have a, a nice secure job right now, right. Or a nice business, maybe you're a doctor or you have a great business that pays you. I'll tell you that that money is not guaranteed. You know, it doesn't matter if you have a business or not, you know, that one of the best ways you can create safety in your situation is creating passive income is actually investing to have multiple streams of income coming in. So if one of those streams of income goes under, you're still okay. You still have these other streams of income paying and you don't freak out. And the problem was I cut off the streams of income. I had one main stream again, right? And then when that wasn't paying me very well, now I was in panic mode because I just purchased a, you know, a $700,000 house. And, you know, and I was, I was, you know, I had a higher lifestyle than what I had before. And now I'm, I'm in the hole $16,000 a month. Right. Uh, and that's, I just definitely don't recommend that. So, so that's why <laughs> second time around, I'm like, I'm going to be smarter about it. I'm going to invest for cash flow. I'm not trying to swing for the fences. I'm just going to go for those base hits every time. Um, and the truth is really when you get those base hits, you eventually find out that you win the game. Right. And, uh, you know, doing that, you know, just building multiple streams of income to create safety and security around my situation to the point where now, I mean, I currently work 20, 30 hours a week. 
Um, not because I have to, but because I want to, because I'm mission driven about teaching people how to do something different to get out of that rat race, you know? And, uh, and that's where it's fun because now I only have two active streams of income and I do my podcast and, and I just enjoy my time and the rest of the time I spend with family, taking care of my, my eight, my eight kids, you know? Do you have eight kids? Uh, blended. Yeah. So my wife brought two from her previous marriage and I had six for mine. And so we, we created the Brady Bunch basically. <laughs> oh, <laughs> well, I mean, the good thing with your business now is that you are in control of your time and you can choose to spend time with your family if you, if you want and not working. Right. Yeah. It's, it's such a different level of, of freedom, right? Because yeah, like I just recorded a podcast here recently about the income trap, you know, and I find this happening with a lot of my clients, especially those that are, I mean, even those that are doctors or they're business owners and they make great money. But deep, deep down, the, the fears come up of, well, am I going to do this forever? Am I going to have to work forever? Is this ever going to end, right? They don't work, you know, they work and they have a great lifestyle. And from the outside, everybody sees them and says, wow, man, your life must be great. You make such good money. Maybe you're an IT manager, right? I get a lot of IT managers that follow me or engineers and people like that or, or whatnot. And and I'm, and they're like, yeah, life's good. But deep down, they know that they're not free. They know they have to keep working and they wonder how long it's going to keep going. And you get caught in this income trap where you make you know, maybe multiple six figures a year, right? But you're still trapped. You're not really free. But when you have those streams of income coming in, especially when they're residual or they're passive streams of income, like when you get from real estate, it's a totally different life. It's, it's where you start to live by choice. You work because you want to. Not because you have to, right? You actually get to work, yeah. and that that money actually becomes a gravy. It's a bonus, and it only actually well, all it does is allow you to create more cash flow because now you can take all your income, invest it, create more cash flow, and you create this income snowball that just gets bigger and bigger as time goes on. And and again, you got you have that freedom, you have options. So one of the, I guess one of the vehicle that allow you to get to where you are today, you know, get out of debt again and enjoy your lifestyle right now is um, a concept that you are trying to get out to your client and, and teach people. So just exactly, Chris, how do you get your real estate to pay you twice? Yeah. So this is an interesting concept because it's not new. It's been around for a few decades, but the problem is, is that the perspective that you get some of these financial people teaching it from, and they're usually insurance agents, right? They're teaching it yeah. from a place of a saver mentality. And I will tell you that, especially because I've worked with a ton of like, you know, whether they're doctors or, you know, especially if they're Asian clients, like my, I, my Asian clients will save at least sometimes at least 50% of their income, right? Half of their income. And they're, they save great, but they don't have real cash flow. And, and the problem with that is, is when you come from that saver mentality, you, you lose, you don't actually create any freedom. And that's what every financial person out there is teaching. They're teaching you to save and save and save and save, right? For someday. Some of them will even tell you to gamble it in the stock market, you know, with mutual funds and things like that. Problem is the stock market in the last 30 years has only produced a seven and a half percent actual return. And that's- No, and that's, no, it, it can be right. In the last few years, so many people make money from the stock market, right, Chris? Oh yeah, of course they have because it's been up, right? It's just been up. Um, that's why I never trust financial advisors have been around for like 10 years or, or 11 years or less because they've never seen a down market. You know, in my experience, I've seen two of them. I saw Y2K and I saw the Great Recession, right? 
And uh, the truth is, when you look at the 30 years, when you look at the actual return, like if you were to put a number in a calculator and get the stock market to come out with the right number, it's actually right around, depending on the day and, and when you hear this, it's right around 7.45 to 7.55% return is the 30-year average, right? Not 10 or 12 like I used to teach. It's like less. It's much less. And, uh, and, and when you start to put that number in a calculator, even, and by the way, you don't get seven and a half percent, even if you have, you know, like the, the actual ETFs, like you buy the S and P 500 fund, cause you think it's cheap, right? Those yeah. index funds do not pay you the full amount. They still take out their administrative costs and everything on top of that. So you're lucky to net six and a half to 7%. Now, if you, let's say you did put six and a half percent, a calculator, and you ran that out with your IRAs or whatever you've got, right? And you start putting in the amount of money you're putting in six and a half percent, and then you take out taxes is not very impressive. You'll, you'll start to realize that if you want a good hundred thousand dollar year lifestyle and you want to retire in 20 years, you've got to start saving now at least, <laughs> at least 10 grand a month, at least, um, sometimes a little bit more than that. Most people won't even say, can't even save, they can't even save that much in their 401k. It's not even allowed to save that much into a 401ks or IRAs. But that's what you have to do to even have a hundred thousand year lifestyle when you factor in inflation, taxes, and everything else. So from that standpoint, that's part of the problem when when we talk about the strategy of double dipping your investment returns, almost every financial person out there is telling you from this saver, you know, false return type of mentality saying, hey, put it away for the long haul, save forever, you know, save everything you can, right? And and eventually someday you might be able to retire. And the truth is, it's not about accumulation. It's about acceleration. It's how quickly can you get that money producing results for you and ultimately creating income. That's what's really important, right? It's got to create income. That's the one thing that they all miss. They, they all are looking for the future someday accumulation of money to then live off the income. But in truth, if you, if you want acceleration, you start thinking more like the bank. You start thinking, hey, how can I leverage my money and my assets in a way that pays me more? And, and, you know, just like with my clients that do real estate, we usually expect at least a 10 to 12% minimum year over year returns, right? Or at least average on that. And so this, uh, this concept you're talking about with double, you know, where you're able to get your money to pay you twice is a concept called infinite banking. And, and some of you guys might've even heard of it before, right? I know, I know V you've heard of it from about 10 years ago, right? Yeah. You know, back in 08, 09, just right um, at the beginning of the recession, um, you know, there was a group that came to Denver in the local RIA here and they mm. talked about it, but I haven't heard anyone else talk about it since. Yeah. It's, it's a concept that's, that is gaining some steam. Like I've started to hear more about in the last few years, more people have said, Hey, I've heard about it from this person or that. Right. Um, but there's a lot of people saying, Chris, dang, I never, I, I never even heard of this concept before. And, and this almost sounds too good to be true. Um, which is not, it's just, it's actually just easy numbers. Uh, so, so the problem is again, most are insurance agents, right? And they're just trying to make a livelihood and, and they have this debate. Um, so for example, in my situation, I remember, cause I used to sell insurance. I used to sell people on index universal life and term insurance and things like that. And by the way, these, these, those tools are not good for the strategy we're talking about. The strategy we use, the tool we use is whole life insurance. Um, I used to, I used to hate whole life insurance. I didn't have a good reason. I was just told by other financial advisors that whole life was bad. Right. Um, but when I got out in the real world and I started talking to real investors, I found out that these investors were leveraging whole life like crazy. And they were putting sometimes 
hundreds of thousands of dollars a year, if not more than that. And I'm like, why? Why would you do that? And, right. And, and Chris, b- before you dive too deep, can you take a step back and explain whole life insurance versus term life insurance? Yeah. Yeah. Term life is just simple insurance, right? It's just like your car insurance. Uh, you only get paid if you die and you don't get paid. Somebody else does, right? <laughs> it's, it's really just death insurance. Um, that's what term insurance is. Term insurance also is only for a set period of number of years. So you could have a 10 year term policy where they only cover you for 10 years. It might be 20 or 30 years. Um, but it'll only cover you for a period of time. And then after that, if you want to keep it, the numbers become astronomically expensive, right? Um, so what happens is most people cancel it. So the whole buy term invest the difference ironically came from insurance companies telling you, hey, we make more money off term than anything, more profit because term insurance policies rarely ever pay out because people will usually, we're always taught, I even taught as a financial advisor that once you get your assets to a certain point, cancel all your life insurance. When I started to look deeper into that, I found out it was the insurance companies telling you to do that because they don't want to pay out. They want you to cancel your term insurance when you're most likely to die. So they want the easy cash flow, the money coming in, right? Again, they want cash flow, but they were just, they just want all the profits from the term insurance. Uh, whatever company you ask, almost any company I've talked to, they only pay out, the term insurance policies only pay out from anywhere from one half of 1% to 1% of the time. So about every one out of 100 or 200 policies ever pay out. So that's term insurance, right? It's the insurance that most people have bought. Whole life is different. Whole life actually does cover you your entire life. It's kind of the difference between, you know, like term would be the equivalent of renting a house where whole life is like buying the house. Whole life actually has a higher premium. That's the thing that people will say is negative because it has a higher premium than term insurance. But the premium never goes up. It stays the same your whole life. Um, which is why they call it whole life. It never, it never expires. It never goes away. It expires only when you die. The cool thing is, is then on top of it being the same premium, um, you actually have this, this tax-free cash savings component that's growing inside of it too. So you have this cash that's growing inside and you have a death benefit, right? It's kind of the, the alternative to buy term invest the difference. But the difference is here is that when you invest, um, when you, whatever money you have inside these policies, they are tax-free. And on top of that, they're protected from creditors and lawsuits too. And in most states, it's 100% protected, meaning you could have a couple million dollars in there. And if you got sued, and even if that person won, they couldn't access that money at all. Sadly, you know, other than your 401k, they can get your IRAs, Roth IRAs, 529 plans. They can, if you get sued and they win, they can access any of those things, savings accounts, they can get to anything they want except for life insurance. So, so that's kind of what the, the difference is there. Whole life, same premium your whole life if you do it the traditional way, um, which I don't usually recommend. And then term insurance dies at a certain point. It, it ends before you do usually. <laughs> <laughs> so then just exactly how, how does whole life insurance play into this infinite, infinite banking concept? Yeah. So the key concept here is that, that cash savings, right? They call it cash value. That's that tax-free savings account that's inside of it. Um, it's kind of like a Roth IRA in a sense where it grows tax-free and it can come out tax-free. But the cool thing is, is that you don't have to wait till you're 59 and a half to touch the money. You can access the money right away with no penalties or anything, right? Um, and so that's the key thing. So the infinite banking says, hey, when we create our own little personal banking system where, and using real estate as the example, right? Uh, say you want to buy a property. 
say it's a $100,000 rental property you want to buy, you know you can get bank financing for 80% of it, you know, so you know you can get an 80,000 loan. Well, you got to come out of pocket $20,000 to pay the down payment on that property. Well, you have a choice. You can either just access it from savings, right? And just pay it out of there. Now, when you pull money out of savings, you've lost the ability to earn interest on that money. But if instead you use life insurance, you have the cash that's in there. And the way I design it, you have cash in there from day one. So where traditional whole life usually go two years before you, or even three years before you have any cash in there, because it's all going to insurance costs. You know, I've found ways to design them to where you can get minimal cost dump in maximum cash that you can get in there over however many years you want to put the money in and you can get the best ROI out of it, the best rate of return. So what I would do instead is instead of doing that, I just borrow, you know, I actually can do a line of credit with the insurance company, uh, 20,000 bucks. I use that as my down payment. And the cool thing is this, is that when I do a line of credit against my savings on my life insurance, it doesn't show up on my credit report. It's not there. Secondly, there's no minimum monthly payment. So if I were to borrow from my, my home equity line of credit, I'm going to have a monthly payment, right? I got to make that payment every month. Even if I bought that property and it's not cash flowing yet, I still have to pay that monthly payment on a HELOC. But on life insurance, there is no minimum monthly payment. And they'll charge me an interest, of course. They'll charge me like 5% per year, right? But So it's a very low rate, but they're not going to require me to make any monthly payments. I can pay it however, whenever I want. The deadline to pay it off, if you were to call it a balloon payment, right? The deadline to pay it off is death. And they just take it out of your death benefit, which is kind of cool. Um, but I can pay it back however I want. If if I even want to pay it off, right? I can just let it compound interest against me. But the way to make it worse where you can make money twice is this. And I have a video on YouTube that actually explains this much better if you want to get deep into the numbers and how it all works. But here's the basic concept is that I'm borrowing at 5%. Um, private loan, again, no monthly payment. Now, say that I, I do borrow that $20,000 for that $100,000 property. Say that, that that pays me $200 a month, right? Now, instead of just taking that $200 a month and putting it in savings, because if I liquidated my savings, took twenty grand out, I'm going to be putting the $200 a month back in and building that up slowly so I can do another investment, which could take forever. But the cool thing is if I borrow from the insurance company, right, I'm getting a, a line of credit, a loan from them. My money is still in there. That 20000 is still in there earning compound tax-free interest. So even if I had, you know, if all I had in there was like $50,000, I borrowed twenty. Instead of having 30000 left, I actually have 50000 earning tax-free compound interest. And they're paying me decent returns there. Well, now I'm borrowing at an interest rate. But the cool thing is, as I'm taking that 200 bucks a month, I'm now using that to pay towards the line of credit. Just like you might do with your home equity line of credit, right? Or a mortgage putting the money back in, I'm just doing that to my life insurance. I'm creating my own bank, my own, you know, my own system, right? And when I do that, even though they're charging me 5% interest, I'm making more in dividends than they're charging me. So what ends up happening, and, and I did an example of this um, with, a, uh, with actually some, some turnkey rentals here recently. Um, you know, I, I did an example where someone took out $95,000 to put as a down payment on two properties. They were cash flowing 1,070 bucks a month. And so I said, all right, with this thousand bucks a month, with almost a hundred grand here, let's see what this does. Well, what happened over time is if I just took that thousand bucks a month or so and put it into my savings after nine years and, and making the whopping point nothing percent interest in my savings account, right? 
Um, yeah. After nine years, I'd have about 128,000 saved back up from that cash flow. Now, doing that same thing with my life insurance policy, I would actually have 178,000 in cash because of how that money compounds faster because I didn't have to withdraw any of the money. It's still in there paying me compound interest and I'm taking the cash flow, putting it back in. So I actually had $50,000 more. That's almost, that's really like a 50% extra rate of return on my cash just by using the life insurance instead of a savings account. In fact, even to get the same return, if you want to have a savings account, give you the same return that you can get with a life insurance policy, it would have to pay you at least anywhere from five to 9% a year to even match that. Okay, now, Chris, so, I mean, this concept is obviously great. However, if you're someone just new, brand new, and you're looking to start and, you know, going down this path, creating your own bank, going and buying a whole life insurance, mm -hmm. well, how much money do you need to put in at the beginning so that you can draw money out day one and borrow against that policy? You know, it depends. Uh, there's a few factors. I mean, one is your age. Um, another factor is your health, right? Um, it's it's kind of cool. I had this I had this woman. She was in Hawaii. She was she was born in Korea, moved to the U.S. and she was living there. and And she was trying to dump in a ton of income. And it, even with her health, she had her thyroid removed, and somehow she still got the top health rating because there was nothing else wrong with her. It was just no thyroid, right? Um, mm -hmm. So that one, you know, still worked out great in her favor because the better the health you're in, and the younger you are. Uh, the less you have to put in to get a get the max ROI, as I say, the max rate of return, right? Um, but truthfully, uh, I mean, depending on your age and everything else, if you've got at least five to ten thousand a year that you've been saving, whether it's putting away for doing investments, whether you've been dumping four hundred one ks, I've had a lot of people that said, "Why would I put this in a four hundred one k? I got to wait till I'm almost sixty to access this money. I can put this money here, actually do real estate investing, create cash flow. I could retire early, right?" So uh, I've had a lot of people stop contributing their 401ks and using that money to put in these too. Um, so if you've got at least five to 10,000 a year of, of cash that you'd be putting away in savings, um, you could probably start to create a decent one. But again, it just depends. Um, every, everybody's situation is different, but um, what I've noticed is that if you're younger, at least 5,000 a year, if you're more my age, if you're in your 40s or so, you probably want to put away at least 10 to 15,000 plus a year into these things. Okay. And so another questions I have is regarding the example earlier we had. So you borrowed that $20,000 for down payment from your policy from mm -hmm. the insurance company. Right. What if you never pay it back and you default? What then? Well, the good news is, is that's pretty hard to default, at least if it's designed the way I do it. Uh, you mentioned like, you know, going out and, and trying to set these up. The truth is that most insurance agents don't either one, don't know how to do what I do with this and create this max return, right? Um, like for example, someone puts in 20,000 in the first year, right? That's the max they put in that up to the 20,000 max. Okay. Um, they'll usually have at least 15,000 available right away from day one. Most insurance agents, you put 20,000 in there, there's going to be zero cash in there. It all goes to fees and insurance costs. But again, I've found ways to do it to where you, you can put 20,000 in and you have almost all your cash available, right? Um, that's, that's the first key. The second thing is like, say you do have a balance on your loan right now for the same reason. Now, uh, I just did a, I just quoted a guy recently doing the same thing, 20,000 a year. He's 40 years old. Um, 20,000 a year, he would about have about 15,600 cash in the first year. 
Well, the minimum, so that's a cool thing that I set the max at 20,000. I always reverse engineer. I figure out what's the maximum we want to put in. And then the minimum in his case is, is just like 4,100 bucks a year. So even though the max is 20 grand at any time, you don't have to do 20 grand a year. You can do anything between that 4,100 and 20 grand, right? Um, and it's kind of proportional depending on your age and everything else, you know? So even if that's, if he's doing 40 grand a year, the minimum's about 8,200 bucks a year and so on. Right. Well, anyways, with that, so he asked the same question. He's like, well, what if I can't pay the premium? Well, cool. Well, then you have to ask yourself one, can I at least pay the minimum 4,100 bucks? Well, if I can't do that, I can borrow from the policy and pay it. Right. But the cool thing is the way I designed it after the third, from the third year on, whatever money you're putting in, it's growing by more than what you put in. So same thing here, right? The only way to make these things implode is if you, in the first year, put in some money, took out a max loan, blew it all, and then you couldn't make premiums for the rest of your life, right? That would be the only way that these would probably implode. But if you're, if, I mean, but if you take out a normal loan though, you know, and, and you're still putting in, you know, money adding to it, even though it's compounding interest, the thing that's cool is that the cash that you're putting in is also compounding interest at the same time. So yeah, it might be compounding interest, but you're also earning interest on that same money anyway. So it's it's really hard, very, very hard to get it to implode to where it'll, like you said, like go into a place where they'll say, hey, we need you to put in a little bit more money so this interest doesn't overtake the cash value. It's the way I design them, it's almost impossible to do that. Okay, and then going back to the the interest, um, the five percent that you mentioned earlier, mm -hmm. is that something that the insurance company set, or do you set it yourself? Um, who who's getting the benefit of, of this interest payment? Yeah, so the insurance company sets the interest rate every year. Um, like one of the companies I use, they've been at five percent for at least the last fifteen years straight, right? So they haven't adjusted the rate at all. Um, but yeah, like in, in that case, the insurance company sets the rate. They decide what the rate is. Um, but how you pay it back and when you pay it back is entirely up to you. So it's, like I said, it's just like a private line of credit. It's not something that shows up on your credit report. It's just between a contract between you and, and the insurance company. If you don't ever pay anything towards it, well, then they just compound the interest. So say, for example, you borrow 20,000 bucks, they charge you 5%. That means you made, you have an extra thousand bucks of interest that's charged that year. That just means it, it grows to 21,000 as a loan balance. And the same thing happens. They'll charge 5% on that and so on, right? So um, you can pay it however, whenever you want. Um, again, if you want the numbers to really sing, to really get you that 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 double dip effect where you can get paid twice, where you're earning compound interest and you're earning money from your properties, um, the way to make that work is where you take the cash flow, flow it right back through. You'll start paying down that, that line of credit anyways and freeing up the cash to use again. And, and by the way, you can have multiple loans uh, out at the same time, unlike a 401k where you can only do one at a time and you have to pay it off to do another one with insurance, you could have dozens of loans out and there's no real limit. So you can do it. The only limit is you can only use up 95% of your cash value. That's the max they'll let you borrow. 95%. What's the cash, what's the, uh, cash value? Is that that's the, the, that's the tax premium you put in? in there? I'm sorry. What's that? That's the tax-free savings that's in there. That's the cash value. So it's it's different than the amount of you pay that you pay every month for premium. It's, it's a different. Yeah, it's a different number. Yeah, exactly. So when you pay the premium in, right, you're you're also buying insurance. There is a death benefit that's associated to it, right? 
Right. Um, and I, again, I, I go for the minimum death benefit necessary to dump in the max cash. Um, so like in that guy's case, we're doing 20,000 a year. Um, his death benefit was about $560,000. Um, so just over half a million. Now, um, with that, of course, there's insurance costs that come out, but there's also a cash savings component. So when I do it, instead of just like term insurance where everything goes to paying for your insurance costs and you get no benefit other than a death benefit, right? Right. Here, you got a living benefit. You've got the money that's there in cash. So like in that first year, he would have about 15600 bucks available of the 20000 he put in, meaning that about 4400 bucks went to insurance costs. And that's the most expensive year, by the way. Um, insurance costs over time go down on whole life, where with term insurance, they go up over time. So, uh, so yeah, 4,400 bucks went to insurance costs that first year. Now the next year, if he puts in another 20 grand, the cool thing is now only about 2000 goes to insurance costs. So 18,000 more goes in. So now he's got out of the 40,000 he's put towards his insurance. He's got like 33,000 and change sitting there in cash. He can use at any time. And then and he could borrow 95% of that 33,000. Exactly. Yeah. So he can borrow over 30,000 of that money and invest it however he wants. Okay, um, let's see. So use this as a line of credit and does the insurance company care how you take title at all? It doesn't matter. Yeah, they, they don't, they, yeah, they don't care at all how you use the money. They don't even ask. Um, I mean, uh, for example, I mean, if someone says, hey, Chris, I want to borrow 40,000 bucks for my policy. I was like, cool, let me shoot an email over to them and they'll uh, ACH it into your account within the next week or so. <laughs> you know, it's that easy. If it's over 50,000, then they might say, hey, sign this form, sign your name to it so we know it's you. Um, but that's about it. It's very simple. It's not like you have to go through underwriting like you're getting a mortgage um, because they know the cash is in there. They just have to say, great, money's in there. All right, we'll send it to your bank account. Checking account sound good, you know, and they send it over. Right, because in a way, this is your own money that you're, borrowing against exactly yeah it's a, it's the same thing i did even even before the recession i remember um when i was launching a business with some partners i remember i had to, i had twenty five thousand just sitting in my savings account doing nothing right it was earning at that time one and a half percent which was awesome back then right um or well awesome now compared to back then but uh but yeah i was earning one and a half percent on my twenty five thousand just sitting in savings and i remember i got the idea i said wait a minute I could do the same thing I could do with life insurance. Can I get a secured line of credit from the bank? So I went to my bank and I said, hey, can I get a, a $25,000 line of credit against the savings? And of course they said, well, of course, yes. And, and, they, and they would charge, and I was earning one and a half percent, they were charging you know, 4%, right? And I thought back then, again, because interest rates were higher, I thought 4%, that's dirt cheap, that's awesome. And I would have to pay like 220 bucks a month towards that loan, you know? Um, so I thought I got a great deal. The thing I didn't realize is, wait a minute, I could have done that with the whole life and it would have been way better. Uh, because you know, the thing is with the, the reason that the bank was willing to do it is because they knew if I didn't make my payment, they would just take the money out of my savings, right? They would just say, great, well, we're getting our money back done, you know, or they could close down that line of credit. And, and even if I maxed it out, they'll say, all right, we're closing it down. We're taking your savings away. Thanks. And we're, and they're secured, right? They have secured money. Insurance company is no different. They're saying, hey, the money's in here. We're going to let you you know, withdraw or borrow up to 95% of the cash that's in here and no questions asked. There's not like, 
And unlike the bank where the bank still had to put me through underwriting, there's nothing like that with the life insurance because there's no minimum monthly payment. There's no deadline on it. There's you know nothing like that. It's just purely, all right, we're charging you 5% simple interest while at the same time, we're paying you compound tax-free interest on that money too, right? Um, by the way, if you're a business owner, the cool thing is if you are being charged interest on your life insurance loan and you use it for business purposes, now you can write off the interest. <laughs> so now you're even getting a bigger advantage because now the, the net interest is even less and you're making more of a spread on that money. Okay. And the interest is fixed or is it uh, arm? It's, it's, it's variable. Technically they'll, they'll, they'll update their interest rates once a year. Um, but they change very, uh, very rarely. They change very slowly, um, depending on the company. There are some companies that like to move the rates around a lot, like Northwestern mutual. Uh, that's one company I don't like to use because they'll run their dividend rates all over the place and their loan rate, for example, their loan rate on the, on the money as, as well as a few other companies are like, you know, 8%. But I know other companies, I can get anywhere from like four and a half to 5% loan rate on the money that I borrow. So I usually use those kind of companies. So what, right, because now what I see could happen potentially is, let's say you have a loans out for $20,000 and next year, the insurance company decided to adjust the rate to 10%. Mm -hmm. If you, they you did. Have this, right, yeah, if they, they did. They usually right? won't. That's pretty rare. You'll ever see that happen. Uh, like for example, like I've seen, you know, over the, over the last 10 years, because interest rates have gone down, the dividend rates have gone down a little bit as well. Um, but their, their loan rates have gone with them too. So loan rates tend to follow the dividend rates. So if dividend rates go, the only reason that a loan rate would go up that high is most likely if the dividend rates like up over 12% or something, you know? So you would only see that happen if the dividend rates went up higher, um, that's so they usually give you a. There's always a spread there, right? So if dividend if if the loan rates drop, it's probably because the dividend rates have dropped. So loan rates tend to follow dividend rates. Okay, got it. So can you share what are some of the pitfalls of using this strategy or the cons of using this strategy? Yeah, I mean, at least the way I've done it because I minimize the risk so much. Um, there's not a whole lot of cons, but. I'll tell you this: who it's who it's not for. Um, one, like I said, if you're if you don't have at least five thousand a year that you're putting away towards savings for investments or any kind of savings for that matter, um, then you probably should just do term insurance, right? Just do something simple like that. Um, you know, another reason too is like I get sometimes I get people in their seventies. You know, sometimes it makes sense, but you know, sometimes we might do a different uh, type of strategy for them. You know, versus doing this. This is best used. If you're in that that phase where you're accumulating and growing your assets to increase your cash flow. So if you're in the asset accumulation phase where you're trying to build savings, you're trying to buy more assets, buy more properties and things like that, this is the perfect strategy for that because this is a better strategy than just using your plain old savings account. You get better protection, better returns, you don't get taxed on this money, you know. It's it's just awesome. So that's who it's really for. For those it's not for, it's those that either one, their cash flow is so tight, they have no extra cash flow. Um, and they're not really saving for investments anyways. Um, or two, they might be into their seventies and then it may not be the best strategy for them. What are some, what are some of the fees that associate with, um, this setting up this strategy with you? Yeah, there's no fees. It's just those insurance costs, right? Um, like when I get paid, I get for this particular thing that I do, like I get paid off from the insurance company when you set up the policy and they just pay me a percentage of the, of the insurance costs that you're paying. So 
Yeah, really, if the reason why you don't, even the insurance agents that do know how to do this, which is a very small minority, the reason why they don't usually do it is because they don't want to cut their commissions back. Because the way I do it, I mean, you're cutting your commissions by at least 75%, you know, by at least you're only earning about a quarter what you would make normally if you just did the mainstream thing, you know? So, um, yeah, so th there's no actual fees out of pocket. It's just purely, you know, my own, my own, uh, you know, gains that I get is just based on those insurance costs that we're already minimizing to be the minimal possible for the tax-free investing aspect. And then another question that I just thought of is, because you're borrowing money from this insurance company who I imagine would be working uh, nationwide in or international level. Mm -hmm. If it, is it truly free for you to take this line of credit out to do anything, even investing in, let's say, pop producing uh, businesses or yeah. um, some crypto or anything that, that you want to do? Yeah. I mean, I, I don't. I, depending on what it is, I don't always recommend it. I, I usually recommend using the strategy for investments that will pay you at least monthly, quarterly, or it's a short-term investment. So when I get people that are doing like fix and flips, you know, and they they maybe need cash for six months, but they don't have to pay any monthly interest on it. It's like, mm -hmm. great, this is a perfect strategy for that because you don't have to pay any monthly payments, right? I mean, there's interest right. being charged, but you don't pay any monthly payments. So it's kind of cool. Um, cash flowing investments, you know, whether it's, they're paying you quarterly dividends or returns that way, or like in a syndication, or if it's a cash flowing real estate where you're getting paid every month, it's perfect. Right. Um, for things that are speculative, I mean, you have to be careful because, you know, for example, I mean, I've, I've purchased Bitcoin before and, and I even made money on it. Right. Um, but if you have bad timing, you don't want to be gambling with it to the point where you say, oh shoot, well. I just bought Bitcoin at $20,000 a Bitcoin and now it's down to 8,000. Uh oh, you know, now I don't have, now I have less money. Right. So right. Um, personally, my personal preference and what I teach my own clients to do is, Hey, if you're going to use it, I mean, you can use it for whatever you want. Right. I mean, you can use it to consolidate debt. I've had clients, you know, pay off credit cards using the cash in there versus just using cash from savings, you know, using cash from the life insurance policy and then taking that monthly payment, paying it right back in and building up the cash and they make a little extra interest than what they would do just using their savings account. Right. And I mean, I've had them do things like that. I've had them invest in business before and business can be a great one because again, you don't, you don't have to worry about monthly payments to a bank like you, like you would there. Right. Same thing. You could say, Hey, this might take me six, 12 months before I start cash flowing from this marketing strategy. I just put money into or, or paying for buying this piece of equipment for my practice, you know, because I work with a lot of dentists and stuff. Right. It's like, cool. Well, all right. Well, you can do that get the money rolling in and then start using that money to pay, pay back however you want, you know? So that's, that's a cool thing. There's a lot of flexibility. You can use it anywhere you want. Um, but yeah, I mean, be careful. And, and you mentioned internationally too. Um, that's the sad part is that, uh, um, there is restrictions internationally. I've got clients in Australia and New Zealand. They cannot actually have, get a policy like this. They cannot even do this infinite banking concept, even though they want to, those countries don't allow it. Um, so the only way I can get around is if they have, you know, either investment properties here in the U.S. or a corporation here, which my clients usually do because they all want to invest in the U.S., right? Because U.S. real estate is way better than most of the other countries. So if they do that, cool. Now I can actually get a policy on them because they've got some sort of domicile here in the U.S. So there's ways to work around it. But uh, I'll tell you, from an international perspective, U.S. rocks when it comes to investing right now. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. A lot of uh, international money is coming in. Yeah. And 
you know, from the example that that we talked about earlier, you know, the hundred thousand dollar house, yeah, twenty thousand dollars maximum. That's that worked out perfectly. But you know, in the real world, in Utah, in Colorado, right now, I mean, the fact is, hundred thousand dollars doesn't get you anything at all. <laughs> so yeah. I can see that. I mean, at, at twenty thousand uh, dollars a year maximum, it could take you a few years to build up your cash value to be big enough for that for you to use this strategy is that right yeah it can be yeah it depends on how you're doing it right i mean that would be true either way i mean if you put your money in the savings right it's gonna be the same thing um they the one thing that's kind of cool and, I, and this is what i do personally right and you can use it however you want but this is how i personally use my policy you know my wife she wants at minimum she's like chris i want one hundred twenty thousand dollars available for savings at any time you can't touch it <laughs> unless we're an emergency dire straight situation, right? Well, the only yeah. problem is 120,000. You think about the opportunity cost on that. You know, even if you get into online savings earning one or 2%, that's not much, right? And so I told right. her, I said, you know what? I'm willing to do that, but let's do this. Let's instead get two thirds of my emergency savings. Let's get it into our life insurance policies. Let's get them built up in there. Keep some in the bank, some that we can get overnight. But I know if we're in a really bad emergency, we can, you know, we'll probably have at least a week's advance notice of knowing we have to get to money. So great. We can do that, get the money from the insurance company. But now at least in this case, it's protected from lawsuits and creditors. It's tax-free and it's earning a better return than point nothing percent in the bank, right? And uh, and that's kind of how I use it. And then anything above and beyond that, anything above that two-thirds of that, those reserves, any other extra cash value I have in my policy, the extra savings there, great. I can invest it however I want. Um, so... That might not be a bad thing. You might say, okay, it might take me a few years to do that, depending on where you are and where you're doing real estate investing. I mean, if you're doing it locally, if you're in the Western United States, it's more expensive. And sadly, the rate of returns aren't great. You know, I just talked to a guy in Colorado, does a ton of properties there. And he's like, yeah, I got to sell these. I can get way better deals out East, you know? Um, so it just depends on what you're looking at. But yeah, you can build up the savings in there and it might take a few years, but at least now your money's doing something more than earning nothing in the bank, and then you get taxed on that nothing. You're right. Right, right, definitely. Now, Chris, just to sum up this um, strategy, I see that whole life insurance better than term life insurance. You need to pay for your premium, and that premium part of it is your cash value, and then. And in the end, when you die, you get the cash value back and you get the death benefit. Is that correct? That's right. Yep. We're overpaying the premium. So we're putting all this extra money in cash while uh, also getting our insurance costs too. So for instance, let's say a person premium is $1,000 a month, $12,000 a year. You can still set up so that you can pay in $20,000 and the extra eight grand goes to your policy as cash value. Oh yeah, and if it's if they if if we're looking at twelve thousand of actual insurance costs a year, most likely it's because I made the maximum about fifty to sixty thousand a year. <laughs> so, oh wow, okay. So I try to make a much bigger spread. So yeah, just like that example, of that guy with that's forty years old with twenty thousand max a year, he's putting in twenty thousand, but his real and that's not even his full insurance cost, right? That's just the first year's insurance cost. Every year the costs go down, but his first year's cost was forty one hundred. So really, that extra almost sixteen grand. It's just bonus money we're putting in to go in that tax-free savings. And he could do it or not do it at all. That's fine. His base yeah. is always at 4100 Exactly. Yep. You have the freedom to choose to do anything, anything between the minimum and the maximum at any time. It's uh, very flexible. 
Um, great. It's, it's great for when you expect the best, but you still want to prepare for the worst, which is my mantra. That's great. That's great. Now, before we wrapped up, Chris, just one last question before I let you go. Yeah. What is the book that you have given most as give and why? The book I've given most as a gift? Yes. Oh, man. I, I would probably... There's a few books. It's probably a tie, pretty close tie. Um, either Think and Grow Rich, which is a very old classic, right, from Napoleon Hill. Um, actually, I, I should probably add to that list, Rich Dad, Poor Dad by Robert Kiyosaki. That's an, a given. Um, and then another book I've given a lot away is a book called Killing Sacred Cows by Garrett Gunderson, um, who is actually one of my former partners. And uh, Killing Sacred Cows is a great book, especially if you want to question a lot of what I talked about earlier in this interview, right? Where we talked about, you know, the the mindset of what people talk about with the myths around money of you got to save forever, right? You know, all those kind of myths you hear about. Um, he really dispels those myths in that, killing, that book, Killing Sacred Cows. So great book to kind of open up your mind for sure. Was he the one who introduced you to this concept or did you already know about this? I, I found it out through another person, but uh, but yeah, he's he'd used this similar concept. He uh, doesn't quite get his rich numbers when he when he's done it for himself, but um, yeah, he's he's he eventually actually I was the one that got him onto this concept of overfunding your life insurance to get extra cash in. Funny enough, <laughs> <laughs> that's great. Now, Chris, thank you so much for your time um, sharing your knowledge with us on infinite banking. This is truly is an eye opening concept. I have been. Um, you know, dove into some of the details that you have shared with us today for a long, long time. And so I'm sure uh, the listener benefit greatly from your knowledge. No, I appreciate that. It's always fun to teach. That's, that's why I keep doing what I do is I want to inspire hope. I know that, you know, no matter who you are, I mean, no matter what place you're at, there's, there's hope of creating that financial freedom, especially if you keep listening to what, what you're talking about V. I mean, that's the thing is that you know, it's, it's not doing the same old traditional stuff you've been doing the whole time. It's doing something different. And, uh, I love, I love what your show is all about. That's what, that's what makes it so fun to be on the show. Right. It's a lab. You just have to try out new ideas, right? That's right. Yep. <laughs> if you want to get different results than you've, you've always had, you got to do something different than what you've always done. Right. Correct. Well, thank you so much, Chris. You bet. That's the end of the show. Don't forget to subscribe, leave a five-stars rating and review on iTunes for the Real Estate Lab podcast. Until next time, have a prolific week.